When we last left the Zappacast, host Scott Parker, the Vaultmeister Joe Traffers, and this episode's producer Bill Camarada, well, that's me, had just discussed the latest Frank Zappa release, Funky Nothingness, and how it came to be put together. That episode was part one. In this installment, part two, we continue on with the second and third discs of the CD version of Funky Nothingness and dive deep into all the extra material that makes up this extended set. Now, some of you might be confused because you haven't heard the first part. So go ahead, pause this episode right now and go back and check out that episode before you continue on with this one. You will even find out why our usual producer, Phil Circus, isn't here right now. But for the rest of you who have suffered through this introduction long enough. Here it is, the conclusion of the deep dive, better yet, the deep dish of funky nothingness, right here on ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast. We join when Scott says... Now you've got the right. uh, Zappa Hot Rat 70 sessions, the, the basically the masters, and uh, starting with Chunga's Revenge, uh, take five. So that was that was another one. So how many takes do you know did they do? They they did at least three full takes, at least I think. Um, but what's interesting is that the master version of Chunga's Revenge that is on the album that eventually came out is solos from two different performances melded together. So Ian's performance and the head is from one take, and then Frank's guitar solo is from another take. So that wow. and and both takes are featured on the box set. So this is how you get into, <laughs> and this is really where it's important to have these extended deep dish type sets, because in order to appreciate the ridiculous way that these these things were put together just to release them through Warner Brothers in 1970, the level of detail that Frank would have had to remember and then... <laughs> and make judgments about and then decide to edit it in this way and all that stuff. I mean, it never fails to amaze me how these things... And, you know, everybody wants to know how the sausage is made. Well, there's a lot of sausage here, so... <laughs> You're going back to Oslo there. There's an obscure yeah, Zappa is, reference. You know... Yes, Oslo. <laughs> Joe is, by the way, Joe is um, not a big fan of the secret word. I know. I don't know. You might not want to keep that in. Well, you know, it's it's everybody's got Look, their preferences. I this, yeah, I had this conversation with Tudor, oh, really? you know, and it's like the secret word made things fun mm -hmm. for Frank in real time in those shows because he had been playing that stuff for so long and it became a thing and it was fun because it was like a real time integration in the show and it would entertain Frank, but when you are listening back to a show with a different set of ears, like I listen back to shows with, can this show be released on its own as a listening experience and be super entertaining? Are the songs being represented well? Are they being played well? That kind of stuff. Is it showing off the composition properly and all that thing? And when you listen back to shows that are just completely infiltrated by the secret word like for instance 
one of the Hammersmith Odeon yes, shows from 84, where he is just grilling that. And then he's also like the one in Europe in 88 where he, the Johnny yes, Cash Ring of Fire. You know. Okay, so here's the thing. When you listen to Ring of Fire on Best Band, it's funny and it's entertaining because he only used a little bit and then he would deviate and go to other things. Well, when you're listening to the whole show and Ring of Fire is played four times or something and Johnny Cash's voice is being implemented on every single <laughs> fucking song by an hour and a half into the show you're just so drained by you know you're just like dude can we just hear you know can we just hear the tunes like as an audience member and if especially if you never saw Frank before you know it's like you want you want to see the concert you don't want to listen to a Johnny Cash infested version the longtime lifers and the fans that have been you know going to like 17 shows in the 1988 show following frank everywhere yeah that's fun for them because and it's fun for frank because they're experiencing this every night but for person that's seeing it one time it's a little distracting so that's my take on the secret word there you go and, and with apologies <laughs> to uh our friend and yours mike Keneally, he never sounded like johnny cash to me he sounded like mr ed i'm just putting that out there <laughs> he just sounds yep. like you know oh, wilbur you know <laughs> yeah like. right <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the comedy value, but no, that's the world's worst Johnny Cash impression. It's just terrible. So, <laughs> love you, Mike. So, <laughs> where were we? Oh, yeah. Love will make your oh, yeah. mind go wild take four. Oh, did we talk about Chunga's take five? We did. We did a little bit. Yes. Okay. Yes, we so did. So, love will make yes. your mind go wild take four. Yeah, it's great that there was another take. It's great that there was an actual, like, you know, multiple takes of the song that were full and complete without them falling apart and stopping or anything like that. So it was a good performance, I thought. So it was good to hear another version Yeah, and of it. so that yeah. one, obviously, work went into as opposed to Annie Had a Baby, which was just one take, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's good to have here. I would, you know, I would listen to the session reel, but I'm weird. So... <laughs> Um, now we get to one of, uh, what has to be a lot of people's favorite track, which is the, uh, unedited master of Transylvania boogie, which is oh, yeah. oh, sick. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just sick. Like it's a whole lot of crazy. And, and then you realize only the ending was used and that's it, you know? So the whole, yep. and it was the, and only it was tape. the only take. I didn't know that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive that that was the only take, and it was a yeah. long jam. Yeah. 18 minutes and 13 seconds of wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he could have put I that agree. out as side I one agree. of Chunga's Revenge, and I'd have been happy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that was all together, yeah. considering that he did use some of that. So he didn't just yes. tear the tape yes, apart. Yes, it was all together. Oh, good. Nope. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> He's got to throw you a bone sometime. <laughs> and uh, similar to that is the unedited master of Charlena. Yes. And uh, by the way, did you notice that there were some overdubs on Transylvania Boogie? He had that oh, treated guitar. Oh, right. that's right. So is that Whitney again? So, you know it. 
No, that oh, was that done was done at, at, at the plant. at record Ooh. plant. So that wasn't post. Yeah, he went right back in, you know, during the sessions and found a, a treated guitar sound that he used on Twinkle Tits intro, and he used it on Transylvania Boogie. That sped up, delayed, warbly yeah. uh, guitar mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, once they got that sound up, he's like, all right, I'm going to use this here. I'm going to use this here, you know, and that kind of thing. So again, it's like. Frank, just the genius in the studio, just coming up with a cool sound and then implementing it on. And it fits things, so well, like you, you don't know? even think about what that is. You know, it just fits in with the track so beautifully. I mean, it's yep. it's absolutely incredible. And you know, I'm super thankful to have the unedited master of Charlena too, because that's just such a monster version of that song. We can't say enough good things about this. And I know a lot yes. of people out there think yeah. that we're just trying to sell albums but no we actually do love this stuff <laughs> so yeah if if we aren't the ultimate geeks then i don't know who it would be there might be some fans on discord that'll rank as the ultimate geeks for sure but yeah yeah you know, when you said that this we, is going to be the subject of the podcast i said well gee i guess i just have to sit and listen to the whole three cd thing again darn the luck i know I said the same thing, but it was just like, I mean, I've only heard it dozens of times. So, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I really do. You know, it's like you get into the laboratory and you boil in an ammonia yeah. and then you <laughs> all that stuff. Um, we yeah. have an alternate edit of work with me. Annie, Annie had a baby. Now that alternate edit was vintage. Yeah. You, um, Frank, I found the alternate edit on a multi-track build reel. So at one time, he was thinking about releasing it in mm-hmm. a certain form. And so the version that's on the Lost Episodes is shorter. And so this one was, an, uh, I think, a longer alternate edit. Didn't it have like a did, organ yeah. solo in it or something? Yes, yes. So, um, so it was good that we have a longer version that didn't omit Ian's organ solo. So... And it was at one time being contemplated as a master version, so had to include. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of people that get excited about Ian's organ, so it was good to have it there. All right, whip it out. I couldn't read yes. the door was open to that joke. I couldn't resist it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Bill, this we're like this all the time. We're the comedy team of Travers and Parker. Joe goes first because he's a Leo. <laughs> oh God. I'll hold back with the rim shots then. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got uh, two takes, take one and take two of Twinkle Tits. Yes. So I was really super excited to find an alternate, a complete alternate take of Twinkle Tits. No overdubs, just basic tracks, how it went down. And that was super, super cool. And that alternate track is the one that we used in the 2019 hologram tour. Oh, is that where that came from? Yeah, that guitar solo is the one that we played to uh, live. But um, yeah, so you know you've got the master version with overdubs, the one that's on the main album, and then you have this one, which is uh, you know doesn't have the intro or anything, but it's basically the main tune in a completely alternate performance. Super that is cool, freaking wild. And I was just you know 
really happy that those were on there because I love hearing the band just cutting the track without the overdubs. It's like right. it's bitching. Nifty, tough, and bitching, folks. See the way my mind yep. works? It's just all over the place. I'm a child, actually. So <laughs> we're getting back. Uh, we're going to start disc three, and we're um, we're getting into some heavy territory here with the unedited master of the clap, Percussion yes, Symphony. Bill, you, Bill, your, your, your thoughts on the clap, yes. the unedited clap. Um, when I reviewed this on my channel, Bill's Box of Sound on YouTube, I got a lot of flack. Because I'm, I'm saying, well, first of all, Frank admittedly was the best on guitar. The first instrument that he played was drums. And this is him doing all sorts of different drumming on different percussion instruments. There's even a, a Harry Parch instrument on here. Boobams. What's it? What is that? The band Boobams. 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 That's it. And of course, for decades, we've been listening to this little teeny bit that's on Shunga's Revenge. Now we've got uh, like four, 15 minutes of it. So at one time, I would have said, Frank's an interesting percussionist. Is he a great drummer? I really wouldn't say so. But would I love to listen to 15 minutes of unedited overdubbing of Frank in the studio with all percussion instruments? Yes, give it to me now, now. Exactly. You know, first of all, I have to ask, was Harry Parch responsible for yes. the boobams? Yeah, yep. he created that. That is them. so cool. Because what a great sound I, those They're very make. unique sounding, you know? you know. Like, for a long time, I had... You see the credit on the album cover, uh, Chunga's Revenge. And it's boobams, but I, the hell are those, you know? But when you see them, it's actually a very impressive percussion instrument. I wonder if... Frank owned those or where he would have gotten them because no, he yeah, rented, them. He rented them. And, and, yeah. and there's a, uh, a record collector magazine that has a picture. Let's see. For those of you who live in California or in Nevada and you get the record collector news at record stores, this is their 100th issue with, with, Frank's, Oh, uh, I don't have that cover. Yeah. It just came oh, out. I need that in my uh, life. There's a picture on page 22 and it says, Frank Zappa plays the vibraphone. No, it's the boobams. No, <laughs> that's right. I know, I know. I saw that. So I have to say that the pictures in the package are amazing. And the pictures of Frank playing the boobams, that's the first time that I had ever seen what yeah. those damn things look like. I've heard them, but I've never, never knew what they look like. So that was that was pretty revealing. Um, and then also, I have to say that I was completely ignorant of uh, the music of Harry mm -hmm. Parch, 100%. And thanks to my friend Gary Tatone in New York, I was just in New York City. Shout out to Gary. I was just in um, New York, and I visited Gary at his place, and he played me a little bit of an LP called The World of Harry Parch on mm -hmm. CBS Masterworks. And... I had never heard it before, and I fell in love with it. I'm totally gonna be tracking one yep. down on eBay. It's very, very soon. It's not cheap, but you know, it's it, it's a really and you already have the. Oh my gosh, Bill has it on quad A track. The bastard! If, if I ever get a chance <laughs> to transfer that thing and get a copy to Damn. you, oh my god, to hear that record in quad yeah. is like I'm su I'm telling you right now, I'm not kidding. I would love. 
to hear that in quad that that album is so cool i'll come out to so, Cleveland. Eh? so when you listen to the world mm. of harry parch right and then you go back and you hear the clap unedited it makes so yes. much sense that that frank would seize the opportunity mm-hmm. to go into a major studio like the record plant rent a bunch of percussion when was the last time he did that oh let's uh, see out? uh he did yeah. it in the freakout <laughs> sessions he did yep. it with art trip at apostolic yes. or whatever i mean he did it all the time he was constantly spending time recording solo percussion whenever he could get the chance and so what is the first thing he does when he gets into the record plant he rents a bunch of shit and records himself doing it and I'm sure that he wasn't intending on releasing that in unedited piece. I know that that for a fact he would have never released it. But we, as fans, and for historical sake, we get to hear what he did unedited, and we also get to hear what he used, you know, on Chunga's Revenge. And then also in the vault, there are other edits that he did from that stuff other mixes and other edits that were not used on the funky nothingness album so i find it completely interesting uh it's an interesting listen it's not a rock and roll guitar piece or anything so i could see how people wouldn't under they might be expecting something else and then you know having to sit and listen to 15 minutes of frank overdubbing himself on percussion might not be their idea of a good time you know in, in the long scheme of things but if you were to pour yourself a Diet Coke with Bill's box of sound, lower the lights, lower the lights, get your mind in the mood and put that thing on and just revel in it. It is so cool. Yeah, it really just is. Side, I love it. Just another side of Frank Zappa, the composer. Yes. Yes. Who Who is interested in sound. Yes. He's interested in experimenting with sound and it's not just about rock and roll. It's not just about the blues. There's a lot of layers of about Frank Zappa. And the clap unedited is one aspect of what made yeah. Frank Zappa tick. And, I, you know, I think it's interesting because if you go back to, like, um, some of the stuff that the mothers were doing on stage in the 60s and all that stuff, and there's definitely a Harry Parch influence there because, you know, you've got your, you know, it's kind of like the clap where you you do have a straight foundational beat. And then these lines that wander all over the top of it, but they do make sense and they're there for a reason. It's not just random. Yeah. Frank recorded himself on drum set and then overdubbed himself on top of that. You know, it's so neat. And then like, you know, live with the mothers there, sometimes there wouldn't be a steady drum beat. Sometimes they would just be following his hand and all these avant-garde pieces in real time were created in all of these live recordings that you find of the mothers in the vault. A little soon to be exposed (laughs) moment coming soon. Oh Oh my gosh. You better be careful, Bill, what you edit into the world for the world to hear. (laughs) We are gearing up for some yep. more releases, folks. We're all, we're Get all the over this. <laughs> I'm actually looking at the 9LP track list now because um, there was one of the pieces on there that we thought was probably the clap. Yeah, and it had and it mentioned yes, Harry the Parch. Harry Parch bongo. It's the, the Harry Parch yeah, bongo fiesta or whatever. Yeah, dude, see that absolutely. Oh, it has, has to be. be. Yeah, there's no question it has to because be that. yeah, yeah. What else could it be? And you've got so much clap on here. <laughs> Clap, the yep. clap, by the way, was yep. also the original title of Chunga's Revenge. That's right. 
That's right. There was interchangeable titles happening at this time. And, you know, Chunga's Revenge, when it was first conceived, I think that the the performance in the vault of the four-piece group with Ed yes. Green on drums, okay, which is uh, pretty interesting. You've got Ian, Max Bennett, Ed Green, and Frank recorded at the San Diego Sports Arena. I think it's February something. So that would be before Ainsley yep. was around. He hadn't moved to L.A. yet. Um, Frank, they play Chunga's Revenge, and when he introduces the song, it doesn't have a title. He just says, this yeah, song is Valero a Yeah, and G. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. So there you have it. Chunga's Revenge was conceived and written as early as, you know, we have evidence, of February yeah. 1970. And when the recording sessions of Record Plant happened in March... It still didn't have a legit title. It was being bounced around between the clap and Chunga and, you know, whatever. So it's just, gosh, you know, for, for fans that have loved the Chunga's Revenge album for so many, so many years, like us, and then all of a sudden these pieces of the puzzle gets exposed with records like Funky Nothingness. It You know, for lifers, it's like a Oh, yeah, no, it absolutely is. That's why... Every album needs to be this ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, you know what's interesting about the the um, the vamp, at least for Chungas, it turns up as early as August of 1969 on a tape from Warrensville Heights, Ohio. Oh, yeah, they're doing a jam, and Frank just starts playing what will become the vamp for Chungas Revenge. So he was tinkering with it as early as that. So that there you go. And there it, you go. You beat me to you. You beat me on that one, Scott. I gotta get one in every once in a while, Joey. <laughs> Scott will sneak in a a, a very very potent once uppercut. in a while. Once in a while, just bam. bam. Oh, oh, that one hurt. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's gonna leave a mark. And then and then we get Bill Camerata with the with the friggin' roundhouse punch, knocks us out with something at some point. Well, he's just, he's just gonna it. bitch slap us with that Harry Parche track. <laughs> I know! I know! I can't wait. <laughs> um Yeah, I will I'll take too. it. I'll take it all day. I'll take one home with me. So let's see. Um, we're, we're almost, almost done. done. The, we're up to the unedited master of the Tommy Vincent duo. Now did you have to piece that together or was that found in one? Here's what's interesting about that. So there were the original tape uh, doesn't exist anymore. What Frank did was he copied that multi-track performance onto a couple different multi-track tapes. Huh. And I don't know why, maybe because he wanted to utilize the tape, but some of it was copied onto a one inch mm -hmm. eight track reel. And some of it was copied onto a 24-track reel. And, you know, he may have been planning on putting overdubs on some of this stuff. He may have been planning things with it, but we will never know because he never got to it. But the original multi-track tape of the performance was is missing. So what I had to do was transfer everything and see what was there. And, and lo and behold, there was like sonic differences between the two transfers ah. like the drums sounded different on the one inch a track than it did on the 24 track reel and not all of the performance was on the a track reel some of the 
performance was on the 24 track reel and some of the performance was on the 8 track reel that wasn't on the 24 track reel so it was a real mismatched jumbled thing so what i had to do was transfer everything make sense of it all and then lay it out in a pro tool session so that craig could mix it remix it unedited so that we can hear the exact performance as it happened and make it sonically match between the two different sources and so that's what we had to do for that um and craig did a great job of of making that super listenable and so yeah that's for us to hear the unedited version that's what we had to go through in wow, order so to the, do it so the two <laughs> versions wild. were not one of the versions was not treated right it just happened to sound different and contain yes. other source my god yeah so it's weird it was weird yeah i mean you know again frank would have never released this in unedited form there's there's just no way but the thing is is that the box set the cd box set is like look at it as the celebration of the record even though the record never really came out so you've got the main record and then you've got this celebration of it all in one fatal you know really if you take you know the 200 motels box set and this really you've got your so-called project object type deep dive into the actual Chunga's Revenge album because, you know, people still ask for, why don't they do, you know, a box set of Chunga's Revenge? Well, you can't really because that's a compilation from different... Yeah, just like the same thing. You can't really do... You know, there were no apostrophe sessions particularly, right? Right. So the stuff that's released, you can put your own box set together. (laughs) That's what playlists are for. Do it kids. yourself. Yeah. yeah. DIY. Yeah, DIY, baby. Drones, Apicon. <laughs> um, Chunga's Revenge, take eight. Now, you can't have enough Chunga's Revenge. So, you know. Yeah, and so it's just I had to include both versions that Frank took the yeah. Master Source <laughs> from. Insane. You know, Pretty damn cool. Oh my God, I love it. Um, now, Halos yeah. and Arrows. This was literally a lost recorded over outtake that was found on the multi-tracks of the record plant. And if you look at the pictures in the packaging of Funky Nothingness, you will see Frank playing on a 12-string... Fender 12, yeah. Fender. I think it's a double cutaway, 335-looking type of thing or something. But I believe that's a 12-string guitar. That's Halos and Arrows. That is him recording Halos and Arrows. And then it was something that he didn't save. And what is on the box set is all that remains. Because you have to remember that when you're recording over something, you're recording and then whatever you were recording over it with, when it stops, and if there's still some more tape on the reel, it's going to expose yeah. whatever was it's, left. That's what was well, left. That's what, that's what Halos and Arrows is. It's, it's <laughs> like when you made when you made a cassette mixtape back in the day and you couldn't find a cassette, you just grabbed one that you had recorded before, yeah. and this is what's on at the end of it, but this is just Frank fooling around just, yeah. just for the fun of it. Yeah. Again, it's the it's the same technique as the clap where Frank would record himself playing guitar and then overdub himself soloing over it or, you know, uh, sweetening it with, you know, and there's I think there's like three guitars at one point as it's going and then it filters down to two, you know, and so imagine if we had had the chance to hear what the Uh, whole thing would have been wonderful. Oh, God, it would have been so cool. What the hell is he recording over it for? (laughs) You never get to really hear him do much with a 12-string either. I mean, I personally, like, I rank the 12-string guitar as arguably my favorite, one of my favorite sounds in all of music. So 
um, just to hear that was really a super pleasant surprise. I was all over that. Yes. The beginning of the song remains yes. the same on Led Zeppelin's record. That first, That's that first, string, you know, man, when right you there. hear it live, you know, oh, when they used God. to do it live and, and Jimmy would just hit that open D. And it's like, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and yes. then we've got Moldred. Okay. So Moldred is a um, an experiment. What did you think of Moldred, Bill, when you first heard it? Um, I didn't put... Uh, well, the first time I listened to it, I, I wasn't uh, following along in the, in the book. And I'm just wondering what this creation is. <laughs> yeah, it's neat. You know, the thing is, is that Frank took segments of the Tommy Vincent duo, slowed it down, and then recorded bass yeah. over it. That's basically how, what Moldred is. It's an edit of sections of Tommy Vincent with bass, and then it ended up becoming a small little thing, just a thing, and it didn't have a name, and it was found on the reels of tape, and so I said, Amit, what's the name of this? And he said, Moldred, <laughs> which is something that Frank supposedly um, said on a Howard Stern I believe episode. that's true, because um, yes. I used to know a girl who had a lot of moles, and I called her Moldred, and I know I didn't make that up. <laughs> So that had to be. <laughs> she, it's true. I didn't make yeah, that up. Yeah. So that had to be. That had to come from Frank. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, and we're rounding out the album with more moles in the form of uh, fast, funky nothingness. <laughs> yeah, which is really cool because you know that's exactly the title that it said on the tape box, and it was really short, and it's great to know that. If and when I find uh, an actual multi-track or maybe a more complete tape of where these funky nothingness mm -hmm. jams came from, that we that we have more of that in our wow. future because that fast funky nothingness is really short, but you know it didn't you know it went on way longer than that. So that's something I gotta mine <laughs> the fields and find. I'm gotta all find about it, this. Man. You know, like I. Lost Episodes, yeah. Volume 13. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Are there actual compiled exactly. other Lost Episodes that Frank did? It was, there was working yeah. sequences. But there wasn't like you a know, Volume uh, 2 or a Most volume. of, there was. There was a Volume 2 and a Volume 3 and a Volume 1. But most of the stuff ended up being yeah. used uh, elsewhere. So, but uh, yeah, that would be an interesting uh, podcast to talk about what the Lost Episodes was. That's at our point. next, uh, you know. Our next yes. Zappacast deep dish. <laughs> Where's that number for Pizzeria Uno? Actually, <laughs> yeah. Actually, our next uh, our next Zappacast after this is going to have to be uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary That's of right. Overnight Sensation. Yay. Yes. It's coming soon. And, uh, you know, I, if, if there's anybody who is not happy with that, I don't know why you're a Zappa fan. Because this is the, these are one of the albums that, well, this is one of the albums that, is foundational in the creation of any new Frank Zappa fan. <laughs> I totally, I totally agree. And we will, we will, we will definitely get into that, but I think that uh, an appropriate way to end mm. this Zappa cast would be, I'd like to hear from the two of you, just your overall thoughts on funky nothingness in as well, a go whole. Go for it, Bill. You go first, Bill. <laughs> Throw it to Bill as a puzzle piece between 
Hot Rats, and Chunga's Revenge, and all of the different parts of, of Frank's career that this spiders out into. I love the album itself, the first disc, and the second and third disc, well, especially the third disc for me. I mean, for me, I, I put together the clap, the Tommy Vincent duo, and the take eight of Chunga's Revenge, and it's like, man, this is late night listening. Put the headphones on, sit back and relax. Your, your mind is about to be yep. blown. With no further stimulation needed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, people have been crying for more Frank Zappa guitar, I mean, solid guitar, blues guitar, this hits those notes. Yeah. Lots of bluesy stuff, but everything filtered in only the way that Frank could do it. Yeah. And what a job done by you, Joe. Jeez. Oh, oh well, thank, well, thank <laughs> you. But, you know, Frank, he laid it all out for me. I just took it all, put it in one place, and sequenced it in a listenable order, and I thought it turned out really, really yeah. well. It, it sure did. I mean, you know, for me, yeah. this was one of the great missing pieces of Frank's uh, ovure, you might say, because I, I didn't personally know that much about, you know, I, I had I have a list where it, it has a sheet that I think um, comes from a union sheet session sheet that lists uh, I'm a Rolling Stone. And then after that, I have in parentheses Stinkfoot with a question mark because I had read that somewhere. And apart from that, I didn't really know anything about this. I didn't know that Twinkle Tits had been cut at these sessions. I certainly had no idea Khaki Sack had been until, you know, I found out when I asked you when the hologram band was on the road. And there's so much here that was just so mysterious. And I, I think that this is one of those corners of Frank's work that is getting increasingly rare now that we understand his working processes and and the albums, the Deep Dish albums come out. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a kind of a, for somebody like me, this is, if you only got one of these a year, then I would be a happy person because then you'd be fine. But to get one release after another, that's all like mind-blowing or corner illuminating stuff is just that's why we all have to figure out how to live forever because because if you live forever you might have a shot of hearing you know 25 percent of what's in the vault at some point in your life so but that's pretty much the only way that's gonna happen so keep them coming joey <laughs> Well, we can thank Universal for wanting to do these projects um, in, in the multitude that they're choosing, and um, it's great. Um, you know, the thing about Funky Nothingness for me that's that's so special is the fact that I know that we could probably find records like this on, in later sessions, like the Utility Muffin Research Kitchen era. There's probably going to be a lot of things that we will find on multi-track reels you know, in the vault from there because Frank had sure. his own studio and he probably spent a lot of time recording a lot of things, you know. But to find this amount of unreleased stuff from mm -hmm. this time period is really, really, really crazy. It's just like, who would have thunk it? Who would have thought that we would have been able to find an album's worth plus all the extra shit 
from 1970 of all times you know it's just like wow this is this is like post mothers pre golden era 70s stuff it's like wow you know he was just it was just uh, super revealing to find all this stuff and it's just it's just a rare time period yeah. it's a rare album it's it's just we we should be yeah. so lucky I mean, that you know, we have it's, it. It's an important <laughs> album too because it's transitional. The blueprint for what his music would become in the seventies is right here. You know that the post mothers, like he had done all the mother stuff, but the blueprint is here. The Tommy Vincent duo, yeah. you know, like the the kind of that's the template for what he would do with those really super skilled, technically skilled drummers that he would get later i mean it's all right here if you know what you're listening to so <laughs> it's a lot of work though it's a lot so. of work no for i Bill. think that yeah. it's good that we do a long it's no i'm saying it's it's good for us to record these long sessions and then separate them into snack sizable posts for the consumer because it just means it's just yeah. more of it to distribute to the yep. peeps so funky nothingness an amazing record. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Scott and Bill, for taking the time to record this. And ZappaCast continues to live in this world of Zappa. And uh, roll a timpani! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> thank you, Bill. Thank you, thank Joseph. You, Scott. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Ah, that was great. <laughs> ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, was created and hosted by Scott Parker. This episode was produced by me, Bill Camerata. Theme music by Rick Busallen and Joe Travers. Special thanks to the Vaultmeister, Joe Travers, for his guidance and support. For the latest Zappa news and more, visit Zappa.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X, and TikTok as at Zappa. Don't forget to subscribe to the ZappaCast, tell a friend, or hit us up on the socials to keep the conversation going. For more info from Bill Camerata, visit the Bill's Box of Sound channel on YouTube. Until next time, keep cranking that Frank, and always remember, music is the best.